Thank you, Abby. Make my life an hallelujah. What a wonderful opportunity we have to do so in life. Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah 13. We are in building faith. We have one more message after tonight, and we'll be done with that study. Seems like I was doing it last year. Oh, I was doing it last year. And uh, I've enjoyed both Ezra and Nehemiah. And we're learning what God is doing as He works in the hearts of those of His children to build faith, to cause them to trust Him. And so we're going to go to God in prayer this evening and see what He had to pray and ask Him to open His, His Word to us so that we may see what He has for us tonight. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, by Your mercy and by Your grace, we thank You for who You are. We thank You that You are indeed a great and wonderful and mighty powerful God. And we thank you that you have privileged us so that we might be in our lives and hallelujah. Lord, we thank you that you have washed us. You've cleansed us by the, by the blood of Christ. And so, Father, now as we live for you, build our faith as we continue to be obedient to you and to your word. And may you be glorified in and through us every day and every way in Jesus' name. Amen. Ever notice how things that you don't mean to allow for um, suddenly come and take up residence with you? So, um, unbeknownst to me one night, while during a deacon's meeting, um, we became the house parents to a cat. Uh, Lauren had been, my daughter, Lauren, lovely as she is, had been at a friend's house, an apartment, and... um, at the complex, they saw a skinny, scrawny cat that had not been cared for. And the friend picked it up and was going to care for it. But, oops, you know, apartments don't allow cats. Most of them don't. And so cat, being named Andy, because that was the guy who, who found it, um, came home with us. And so I heard a bunch of commotion during the deacon's meeting. We all looked at that and didn't realize what was going on. Um, but the cat came home to live with us. And so uh, Lauren volunteered to take it home, and she said, just, just one night, I'm going to call the Humane Society tomorrow, and we'll take it over there, and they'll take care of it. They'll find it a good home. And so she got up the next morning, and uh, they called, and they said, uh, at least five weeks. <laughs> we, can't take, we have too many cats. We can't take the cat for five weeks. We tried to give it away to, uh, let's see, Ben's sister. We tried to give it away to... A friend. Um, we've had several neighbors bring it back to us, uh, but the cat is ours. The cat keeps coming back, and so the kitten remains. It's been seven weeks now. Yeah, you know, for cats, it's not a bad cat. I'm not like a real lover. I'm not a hater of cats. I'm not a lover of cats. And as a cat, you know, it's a pretty nice cat. It's friendly. It doesn't usually bite you or anything like that. It it wants. It likes being fed, so it doesn't especially bite Lauren. And so Andy has become known to the neighbors, and they think that Andy can't forage for himself, so they always bring him back. And Andy always comes back because food's there. But we've given the cat a home, and he has a home until Lauren gets married and moves out. Andy. Andy's a nice cat, even though he has like that glint in his eye, like I'm going to attack you and eat you. <laughs> but Andy's a nice cat. Um... You know, sometimes things come into our lives that we don't plan for, and try as you might keep them out, they take up residence in our lives. 
Uh, but other times we invite people and things well knowing that they shouldn't be there. And still more often, the thing that we invite into our heart is sin. Now, I'm not comparing Andy to sin. <laughs> Even though he is great. No, uh, I'm not comparing. But we give sin a home in our hearts. And that is just the story we have in Nehemiah 13, the first section of it. What I want us to understand is since God is a holy God, you must not give sin a home. Let's go to our text. Verse 1. Now on that day, and we're not quite sure which day that was, they read aloud from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And there was found written in it, that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, because they did not meet the sons of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So when they, the people, heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. What an interesting passage. When they heard the law... They excluded all foreigners from Israel. They remembered, and we, we think they're, they're reading Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 through 5. It's a commandment. And, and as the, the Scripture says, Ammon, Ammon had been really hateful to, to Israel. Moab had been hateful to Israel. In fact, in this story of Balaam, we know the story of Balaam and his donkey. And we're not quite sure why he thinks a donkey is supposed to be talking to him, but he listens to the donkey, but Balaam is sent there to curse, and God turns it into a blessing. But from then on, there is this in Deuteronomy, not to allow them into the assembly of Israel. It's a stark command, and this has been many, many years before, a general command. And they obeyed the command for the most part. For the most part. But wait a second. Were they just being mean to people who are mean to them? And was there any, any way out of that? Well, we know that Ruth was a Moabitess. Remember Ruth? Yeah, she had a mother-in-law. Her husband died. She went home with her mother-in-law. Remember Boaz, Obed, Jesse, King David? The line, Ruth, a Moabitess, converted to follow the one true God, and she was welcomed. So this introduction here was not about race. It was about spiritual separation from those that would carry you away from following God. And so here, the door was always open for the one who would convert to follow the one true God. But not many did. And so if you want to put in your scripture, your, your margin, I, I did this for mine, if you have a paper copy, the reading of scripture caused them to change. They heard the law, and they obeyed. The reading of Scripture caused them to change or to obey. And so they, they followed this. I'll continue in reading in verse 4. Now prior to this, Eliashib the priest, and he was the high priest at one point. We don't believe he is exactly the high priest, but still a reputable man. The priest who appointed over the chambers of the house of our gods, who was in charge of the chambers of the temple, being related to Tobiah, 
had prepared a large room for him, Tobiah, where formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, the tithe of grain, the wine, the oil, prescribed for the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. Wait a second. Eliashib should have known better. Eliashib should have known we don't let Tobiah. Now, do you remember who Tobiah was? It's been a few months, probably, since we last talked about Tobiah. Tobiah was not a nice man. Well, let me give you one other verse, because when this happened, Nehemiah wasn't there, verse 6, but during all this time I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, I had gone back to the king. After somehow, sometime, however, I asked leave from the king. So just put that in the back of your mind. This didn't happen while Nehemiah was on watch there. Let's go back to Tobiah. Tobiah, Nehemiah 2.19, Sanballat, the main head head honcho there, Uh, Sanballat the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard it. They they mocked and despised us, saying, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Uh, Chapter 4, verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and said, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, they would break down their stone wall. Nehemiah 4, 8, but all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause disturbance in it. So Tobiah was not on their side. Even though he was a relative of Eliashib, the priest, he was not on their side. It tells us another portion where he, Tobiah, even after the wall was built, he wrote letters to the leaders in Judah saying, and, and trying to undermine what had gone on in uh, Nehemiah's leadership. He was not a nice man. He was not on their side. And suddenly, he's got a nice comfy room. In fact, he has a big room. They prepared a large room for him. It wasn't like they gave him a closet. They gave him like, you know... Like the, and this isn't the temple. This is, wasn't in the high priest's house. It wasn't down the road. This is in the temple. In fact, they moved away, out of the way, those things that were part of temple worship. Even the collection for the priests, but all the grain, the tithes, all of this thing, the utensils of the temple, the things that were holy, the things that they had to go and they had to purify before they used Yeah, put those out of sight. We've got to put, give uh, Tobiah a place. We've got to give him a home. It's got to be in the temple. And so they did. Well, guess what? Nehemiah comes back. Verse 7, back in chapter 13. And I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the court of the house of God. He comes back, and he's not very pleased at all. It was very displeasing to me, so I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. And then I gave an order, and they cleansed the rooms, and I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Nehemiah, it, it, it seems, put yourself in his place, okay, He was minding his own business so many years before when God called him to lead this group of people back to rebuild the wall. And he's been faithful to God. And you can see in this, in fact, 
very often in chapter 13. We'll focus on this more next week. You can see how he cries out to God, to God, I'm doing this for you. Remember me because I'm doing this for you. But you, can you imagine the frustration when he comes back and Tobiah, the enemy of the people, is now living in the temple and he is displeased and he takes action. He didn't go to Tobiah and say, you know, let's negotiate a little bit. How about a smaller room? Can I give you a smaller room? Maybe a closet. No, I don't want a closet. Okay, well, maybe just a, you know, a one-bedroom apartment. He didn't negotiate with Tobiah. He threw his stuff out. <laughs> Evidently, Tobiah was not there at the time. Um, we might have had some more verses, which have been even more interesting, uh, of the altercation. But he throws all his stuff out, and he cleanses the room. Cleanses. It's that, that work of purification. This is in the court of the house of God. And so cleansing must take place meticulously, carefully. God is holy. Remember that from this morning. His temple is holy. The rooms in the temple are holy. They're set apart unto God. So He cleanses this. And He puts the, thing, the, the right things back into that room. You know, in the trials of Nehemiah, we have a great warning for ourselves. Often, we give sin a home. We step a bed and a couch, put the favorite stuff in the fridge for it. We basically give sin or sins the right to live in our hearts and our lives. You and I don't fight it. There is no resistance. We just yield. It's too hard to yield, we say. It's a relative, we say. I've known this sin all of its life, all of my life. It's like my third cousin twice removed on my mother's side. Give it a home. We need to be like Nehemiah. We need to be like Nehemiah. What are the lessons that we learn? Fairly easily, it's to recognize sin. You need to recognize the sin in your life. Now, now Nehemiah had been away. He came back. We're always there. We know what sin is that we're giving favor and giving home to. But learn to recognize sin in your life. Identify it. Don't ignore or pretend it's there because that's what we like to do. It's... it's yeah, it's, it's there. It's only on Fridays or Saturdays. It, it's, it's back there. We make excuses for it. And we enable. Don't enable sin. Sometimes we go certain places. We place ourselves in certain places so that we can see or hear or enjoy our sin. Instead of staying away. Instead of remember the, the life of Joseph when he fled Potiphar's wife. No, no. We give it a home. Recognize sin. You know, we begin by acknowledging our sin or agreeing with God that that is indeed the sin is in our life. We recognize it. Number two, we have to be ruthless in throwing out the sin. We can't downsize. I'm just going to downsize the sin. Okay? We're going to get a little smaller room. Throw it out. Throw it out with extreme prejudice. By God's great grace, get rid of it. Um, 
Romans 8.13, For you're, if you are living according to the flesh, flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And that sounds like life and death to me. King James, mortify the deeds. Kill them. Throw it out. Throw it out. You know, we have to be honest with ourselves. And we have to be willing to make that decision and by God's grace throw out that sin in our hearts and lives. We can't coddle it. We can't accommodate it. We must throw it out. The next thing we see, though, we see that he cleansed the temple room there. Well, you and I must cleanse our hearts. 1 John 1, nine. What does it say? If you will, what? Confess. Confess. Confession is saying, God, I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge it. It is indeed sin, and it is wrong, and it's an affront to a holy and a righteous God. But I know that in Christ there is forgiveness. Cleanse your heart. Cleanse your heart. And, and those, that is, is so important, this step of repentance. And this step of repentance and cleansing is a turning from it. Cleansing involves turning from your sin. But cleanse your heart. Confession. Confession. Call upon God. Let the purifying grace of God come and renovate and clean that room that you have given sin. Cleanse your heart. Then you notice the last thing that he did. He put the right things back in, it, in the room. And that reminds us we have to put the right things back in our hearts. See, when sin comes in, it shoves other things aside. It could be the, the blocking and tackling of the Christian life. It could be spending time in God's Word, spending time in prayer. Okay? And those are the, are the first things to go. Hey, you find somebody in what we consider her, uh, horrendous sins, heinous sin. It wasn't like they woke up this morning and said, you know, I think I'll do that today. No. A while back, they, they stopped spending time with God. I'm just too busy. He'll, God will understand a while back, they stopped praying. A while back, they stopped checking their life. They opened the door to the room and said, come on in. It's a gradual thing. And Satan's slippery like that, isn't he? He really is slippery like that. And so we have to put the right things back in. We have to put the right things back in it. We have to be diligent in God's Word. We have to be diligent in the graces that God has given to us and the fruit of the Spirit. We have to be willing to be led by the Spirit. And so that peace and joy, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the kindness, the holiness, as we learned this morning, moral and pure living, a focused living upon Christ. We have to do, put the right things back in our hearts. We can't leave it, the room empty. We can't leave it empty because that's just easier for 
sin to come back in and throw down a futon and, and, and live again. Put the right things back in your heart. I think this is something that you and I struggle with. Um, we know that God is holy and, that we, and we know that we should not allow sin in our hearts and lives, but we, we do. We fail to, to think on those things which are good repute or pure, excellent, worthy of praise. We don't dwell on those things. We don't remember the things that we've received and learned, as Paul writes, and do. We don't practice those things. See, we have to put the right things back in our heart. We have to understand that God is holy. And the proposition for this passage is, since God is holy, He is a holy God, you must not give sin a home. You must not give sin a home. You and I can't let the cat come back. Because sometimes the cat's cute. Sometimes sin is uh, pretty enticing. If you say it isn't, you're not being truthful. You're already being deceived. Oh, I doubt it that. But by the grace of God, go I. Don't give sin at home. Don't let it set up, up a comfortable place in your soul. Rely upon the grace of God to battle it in sin. Remember in Ephesians 4.27, we are not to give the devil a place or an opportunity. We are not to give sin a home. So how do I do that? How do I practically live this out? It's every day. That's why Paul so often talks about bringing every thought captive, about walking, an old word, circumspectly, carefully, in a right way, not going to the right or the left, falling off the path, but walking and keeping on God's path. Because God knows how easy it is for us to give sin a home. And you and I are commanded to be holy as God is holy. And in a way that only God could do, he put today two messages on holiness, okay? I did not anticipate ending with 13a, the first part of it. I didn't anticipate months ago when we were planning this series to be a grow in holiness on this day. But he has it for us. He has it for me. And he has it for you. So what about it? How ruthless are you going to be in kicking out the unwanted guests? Don't give sin a home. If sin has taken up residence, kick it out. And by God's grace, you can. Let's bow for prayer. Oh God, you are righteous. You are good, and your goodness it speaks not only 
of your pleasantness, but of your purity. I know, God, we need your great aid and grace in fighting the sin that we so easily allow to our hearts. Oh God, you do not know, I mean, I do not know what sin that each one of us are battling with, but Lord, you do know. And the joy is that in every command that you give, you provide the enablement, the power, the strength to obey. So God, I pray that we would be ruthless with sin. Whether it be pride and arrogance, maybe it's the pride of thinking that we are good. Maybe pride's taken up a home and we look down on everyone else. Or maybe it's one of many other things. God, I pray that you would, by your grace, enable us to step forward and may we be diligent being ruthless with our sin. We know that you are able and willing to help, but we know that you give confession and forgiveness, that ability to come. So we thank you for it. For in Christ's name I pray. Amen.